Hi. Hello. Welcome. Hi, Carrie. Look, Danny's back. Hi. Look, it's he still has his Halloween decorations I still haven't gotten the check from last week, so you know <laughs> it's I'm going to talk a lot less this week. Danny, how did your Halloween turn out? Well, we are in pandemic times, so I went and uh, I put on my skeleton suit and mm-hmm. I went and saw <laughs> Andrew McKegg's band play. Oh, you did! Oh, you didn't just wander the neighborhood in your skeleton suit this year. <clears throat> no, <laughs> uh, I got I bought a bag of candy and not one single trick or treater showed up. I haven't had a trick or treater since like 1990. Yeah. Well, uh, yesterday I got my uh, I got my booster shot and I got my flu shot at the same time. I did that too. And I so I heard too. I heard you were supposed to just drink a bunch of water so you didn't get sick or or so that the uh so it wasn't so bad and so i drank a bunch of water which meant i was like gallons all day long which meant along with my usual cap caffeine intake i'm gonna i'll get back to peeing and that skeleton suit in a minute but (laughs) so i got up a bunch of times in the middle of the night because i've been drinking tons of water all night long or all day long and every time I got up, I went by the freezer and I got a piece of candy. So there were all these wrappers at the bottom surrounding the <laughs> toilet this morning, which which meant that I went through the bag this morning, just took out just the Reese's peanut butter cups, and I threw the rest away. What was the rest? Whatever the... Mr. Good bars and the Hershey's and the all the like all the Snickers and Milky Ways and all that shit. Every, everything, all of it. Okay. Well, see, you're not a fat ass Montgomery, so you know <laughs> you don't have to worry about that. But well, how, kind of good, how kind she of you to Snickers. say? If the nicest thing I ever say to you is that you're not a fat ass. I know the, the like <laughs> underground implication here is that I am a fat ass. No, no. See, no, it's that he's a fat ass. That's not what I said. Yes. It's not what I said. Um, I don't know don't why body shame yourself, you Danny. When you're, you're the one who obviously has all the problems, Janet. So we're going to work on you today. <laughs> it's true. Danny, don't, Danny, don't body shame yourself around here. We're not here for that. You have got, you got okay. beautiful braids. You have a great personality. <laughs> <laughs> See, now I know you're lying. No, it's just <laughs> it, it's the shame of finding all these candy wrappers surrounding were the they really were the they really day. around the toilet yeah because i was just i was basically you were sleepwalking so i you were peeing and opening candy at the same time and i shove it in my mouth and i throw the can and i just toss the candy wrapper <laughs> aside and pee and then go back to bed and that must have happened i don't know how many times so it was my own personal walk of shame this morning to, mm. to witness that the skeleton suit the re now, the reason why I didn't really talk about this, but the reason why I left the Andrew McKegg band show early is because I realized that in order to take a pee at this rock and roll show, I was really going to have to strip naked. off the entire 
bodysuit. So I had a, a moment of solidarity with the ladies who have to do that on occasion, depending on your outfit. And as soon as I had to pee, I left. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Because of the body shame, you don't want anyone in the bathroom to no, see I just your didn't upper want to go body. The ba- I didn't want to go to the bathroom and peel off my my outfit. So no one really wants to get naked in a show place bathroom. No. Well, no. we always talk about that. Everyone does whenever we see a cute jumpsuit at Nordstrom or whatever, and we're like, "Oh, ha ha, fuck that! I'm not wearing a jumpsuit anymore. I'm not taking my top off to go pee." Now, when you're young and you're at the Vogue and you're pretty drunk, you're warm. It's like the the drunkness or the drugs or something would keep me warm. And now, I just I can't imagine being that cold in a public bathroom taking my top off and also there's the fear that it's going to touch the ground it's going to touch the ground that's yes. my fear i'm not worried about being cold i don't want it to touch the ground what does your little... shirt what does your shirt say carrie <laughs> in my defense janet's daughter say? i can't janet's daughter gave me this shirt it says trick on the front and treat on the back ah okay it's inappropriate no i just didn't i didn't know it said treat on the back i thought it was just trick you're just like you're, you just this is my hooker shirt <laughs> Danny <laughs> yeah I know that's why you know I was just in California for a week and I had this in my suitcase and it's I like I love this t-shirt because it's really thin and soft and I was gonna just wear it out to the store and I was like ooh, I don't know if I can I'm not gonna. and I'm not that's and I'm not shaming you for that either however you finance this podcast is your own business <laughs> I wish I wish <laughs> Okay, so Halloween, peeing, whatever. Something jumpsuits, came up. Jumpsuits, jumpsuits, Reese's candy, walk of shame. Something came up about the dwarves the other day online. I'm in a I'm in a Facebook group about Pacific Northwest music archives of something, and someone was someone posted the dwarves record cover of the Blood Guts and Pussy and said this is the best record Sub Pop ever put out. And so there's a big conversation happening, and it made me ask myself some questions about Danny. And mm-hmm. I know you're in the dwarves at yes. some, in some incarnation, but it, that was after you got sober. That was the first thing that I did once I got sober. <laughs> Smart move. Which, which was, which is, which worked for me, but I would not recommend it for everyone necessarily. <laughs> Join the dwarves if, when you get if, sober. <laughs> If this is some sort of sobriety podcast, and I don't know what we're doing here, but if that's what this is, <laughs> yes, I, when I was in the treatment center, so about halfway through, say about, you know, 14 days in, I got a phone call from Blag, who I, I would. Uh, Wait, how did he call you? I don't know. I don't remember. I was very toxic at the time. <laughs> foggy. But how, foggy. How he got the number. I mean, you know, it was the, the bank of phones in the rec room at the at the treatment center. And it and it rang and Blag was on the other end. And I had been, I had tour managed them before and sold merch for them before when I worked for Sub Pop. And, you know, and this was, for me, like I had just been, I'd been kicked out of my band and sent down to Arizona to go to treatment center. So I thought it was the end of, it was the end of the world for me. There was going to be, you know, no more rock and roll music. That's for sure. And halfway through my stay there, I got a call from Blag saying, you know, we just got rid of our bass player. When you get out, when you get out, 
come to San Francisco and join our band. And at the time, that was like someone just calling randomly and asking if you wanted to join the Rolling Stones. It was, it, they were my favorite band in the world at the time. So it was very exciting. And I don't know why they let me do this, but even the, the people at the treatment center let me have my instruments shipped to the treatment center so I could practice <laughs> before I got out, which is... How long were you there? The regular 28-day sort of thing. Who shipped them to you? Again, I was toxic. I don't remember. <laughs> some some kind soul. We need the facts behind this fantastical story of your magical treatment experience. Yeah. That's that's as good as you're going to get because it's you have to rely completely on my memory. So mm. tough shit, ladies. It's got some holes. <laughs> but no, no. I mean, that's the way I remember it. And then, you know, my dad, my dad financed that whole operation, that whole treatment center operation. And he's, and he would come and visit me every night at the treatment center during the dinner, you know, the after dinner time. Every night? Every night. Wow. And, and um, he's, you know, he paid for it. So he said, the only thing I want in return is for you to come out to come out to his little ranch in Levine, which is not that far from Phoenix, uh, and spend a week after treatment center. And so I thought that was a deal. And so I went there, spent a week, you know, smoking cigarettes on the patio and talking for the first time in our adult lives. Was your dad referred to as DJ? Yeah. Mm. Daniel. Uh, DJ Bland. David John Bland. Oh, and then so I spent a week out there, and then I'm then I went to San Francisco and started rehearsing with the dwarves. And when you told DJ about your plans to go to San Francisco to be in a punk rock band with someone named Blag, a band called the Dwarves, your dad said, "Great, off you go, fantastic." Well, he he certainly knew who I was, and he had seen me do worse, have worse <laughs> ideas. <laughs> And I don't remember anyone protesting the idea. Yeah. What um, was the state what was the state of the other folks in the dwarves? Like were they sober? Were they recreational drinkers? Like what was their state of I would chemical say chemical they enhancement? Were, they were recreational recreational to seriously recreational drug and alcohol users who were allies though i mean they they fully supported me in being sober because they knew they saw what a mess i was beforehand and mm-hmm. they wanted me to they wanted me to win so they they were su- supportive and p- part of that did you move in with black like where did you move to yeah. when you got there oh oh yeah i moved right into this, to the same fucking place that he lives to this day oh wow and it was great because, you know, all I had to do was rehearse and go to meetings. That was my job. So were you were you like pretty confident when you got out of treatment that you weren't going to get loaded? Or no? I was I strangely was. Yeah. And I don't really have any reason why I should have been. I, I, I was confident before I even got to the treatment center. Yeah, There's just the something airplane. about in the airport. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there was just something about that moment that told me that I wasn't going to use again. And, and, you know, and being, 
being in the dwarves <laughs> was like primal screen therapy, right? Like I made a, 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 a deal with myself, which was I could act out in any way I wanted to, as long as I didn't get high or drink. And so as a member of a band that you expected to break things and start fights and, and generally misbehave when you saw them, I was given free reign to do that. And as long as I didn't get high or get drunk, then I figured I was okay. And that is how I operated for the first, <laughs> um, you know, couple of years of my sobriety. I'm not saying again, not recommending it for the kids out there. But it's just what I did. Did you did you make a record with them? Go on tour? Like what was the inter- What was the lifespan of your engagement with? I made a yeah. I made a. I made we made an album. We made a bunch of. We recorded a bunch of singles. We did a. We toured. Uh, we did the states and we did Europe. We did everything. Hmm. What year was that? Do you remember like generally what year that would have been? Well. I got sober in 92, so it would have been 92 and 93 mm-hmm. was, was when I was playing with them. And then and then I had my 30th birthday, and I retired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Blag said something funny to me a couple of years ago. We were at, at Fanographics for one of your book events. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. It was the most recent one. And we were standing outside— and he like introduced himself to me and I said, Oh yeah, I know you. I've been friends with Danny for a really long time. And he goes, Oh, you're probably one of those people that he told me I couldn't talk to. <laughs> and I go, I don't know. I don't know, Blake. I, I don't know what the rules were I about have me. But. Never told him he couldn't talk to anybody. That's not true. He's being he's just being cute. He's mm-hmm. charming that boy. Yeah. He's really nice. People love him. And then I remember so I was in I was in treatment for a year in 1995, and at the end of that treatment, it was like a two-phase kind of treatment where you live kind of in lockdown for six months, and then you, the last little while you move into this kind of halfway house situation where you can go to meetings, get a job, and all that stuff. And you used to come pick me up when I lived in that house on Capitol Hill and take me and whoever else from my house wanted to go to meetings. And yeah. I always remember like you being just so supportive and such a such a great friend and I remember you having a really great car at that time and a lot of people could fit in that car. That was a 74 Cadillac Fleetwood. <laughs> nice. And it was, was. 20 it was a living it was room. 20, it was 20 feet long. It was yeah. mm-hmm. it was the longest blackest Cadillac you ever saw and yeah. It was, um, and driving around Capitol Hill was funny because with, you know, there were certain parts when you were on the hill that this car was so big that I had, sometimes when I was going up the hill, I just had to have faith that there was no people. Yeah. Cause you're staring the at the road sky. because I couldn't see. Yeah. yeah you're I staring see. at, the, it's like driving a teeter totter. It was a boat. It was amazing. Yeah. What kind of gas mileage did that thing get? Terrible. Five, um, seven. I don't. I never even bothered to do the math, but e- even in 1995, it cost me, you know, 20 bucks to drive to the airport and back. So gas <laughs> was a dollar <laughs> back then. Yeah. <laughs> Cigarettes were 50 cents. Yeah. Dollar 35. 
And then when you left the dwarves, you moved back to Seattle. Yeah, I just, when I decided to, again, when I decided to retire, then that was right when the super suckers were touring and they, you know, they had a couple of problematic drug type users in their band as well. What the heck? And yeah, can you believe it? Rest in peace. Yeah. And so they just said, Hey, why don't you come on tour with us? And, sh- and they, they knew I'd, I had been touring for a couple of years, clean and sober. And they said, why don't you come on tour with us and just show, show them how it's done. Oh, you're and, like a recovery coach. Right. Except for, sober companion. Uh, I went on, you know, I went on tour with them and, and after a couple of days, it was, there was nothing, nothing to do. So I started being the road manager. And by the time the tour was done, I was their manager manager. Mm-hmm. And I think we basically loaded in, you know, after that tour, we basically loaded into, uh, got home loaded in the studio and made that Lomano Cornuto record right away. So that's, that's when I started managing bands and tour managing. Hmm. Did you uh, have a positive impact on the drug users of that band? <laughs> uh, well, maybe temporarily. What was your what 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 were your strategies? What did you do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, magic tricks or yeah, I mean, this, this be, this, <laughs> guns. <laughs> knowing knowing their sort of frame of mind because I was just in that frame of mind like a couple years before. I wanted to, I wanted, like there was all the things that I loved about rock and roll music when I was a kid, before I discovered, before I discovered drugs and alcohol, those things still exist. So it was a matter of like playing music for music's sake and uh, entertaining the people and getting the occasional fist fight and all, all that fun shit that, that, that goes into the adventure of being on the road. Minus the booze and drugs part. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get laid a lot? Did you get Did you get laid a lot in the dwarves? Are you a cop? (laughs) Are you a cop? (laughs) I think uh, collectively we did pretty well. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Ew. (laughs) I'm not going to speak. I'm not going to. You know. I'm not going to talk about my personal life. I'll just say, as a collective, we did well. Yes. Mm And and I'll say I probably brought the average up. So, <laughs> was there any type of ranking system? I mean, in the dwarves or in the super suckers or whatever? Did you was it, is this something that people in bands talk about? Like back then when you were young and everybody's single or whatever? Is it something that is it banter in the van of do tease each other about? Be careful. Tread carefully in this area because this is this is not the day and age. <laughs> what are you asking exactly? Rank I mean, ranking ranking who? I mean, was there any like competitive sort of thing about about you know the number counts or like who gets the most attention from women on tour or anything? I'm not trying to like launch you into some misogynistic, sexist objectification thing. I'm just just for fun. Well, I'm, just, I'm trying to be fun. I'm not trying to be accusatory. As you know, Carrie Montgomery, I would never do such a thing. So, oh right, yeah, yeah, true. true. But there was, let's see, we did a tour. 
I don't know if I can tell this story or not. You can, I don't think you can. <laughs> I don't think we you did can. a tour in Europe where Badge, Badge Moore, from the drummer for the Dwarves, and I don't think Badge would mind me telling any of this stuff because I just read his his uh, I just read his memoirs that are coming mm-hmm. out pretty soon, and they're pretty great. They're pretty spectacular, and they're very uh, and they're very uh, they spill all the graphic, beans. Uh, very graphic, and he you know. But he, you know, him and the um, him and the Reverend Horton Heat got in the competition to see who could who could go out. I'm doing finger quotes here with the most unattractive lady <gasps> on tour, and uh, I'm going to say that uh, that our young badge won by a long shot. So. <laughs> But that was just that. I mean, at the time, I think wasn't there just a movie about that at the time, like that uh, dogfight movie that was filmed in Seattle and might have had uh, young Courtney Love in it. <gasps> it was a similar, a similar um, storyline. Oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. What a narrative! What a narrative about that life. <laughs> I mean, I'm all for consensual relations. I mean, God bless. Let's just assume that it was all on the up and up. Everybody's just having a good time. Was that okay, Janet? No? (laughs) No. None of this is okay. (laughs) None of this is okay. Janet is very uncomfortable. No, I just feel like the the times have changed. You're right. uh, We're, We're... we're, this is nothing that went on in the last 24 hours, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no one would get me tooed. No one, in your knowledge, would get me tooed around any of the behavior of... Any of that? No, no. It was all innocent, uh, drunken fun. Okay. Um, Let's just... Not that... You know, there, there are plenty of things that went on in that time in other organizations that would be me too, like a motherfucker and probably yeah. will one of these days. Well, right. Yeah. But, we're seeing uh, that uh, happen right now with someone. Yeah. Right with, now. yeah. with the, you know, with the uh, most sissiest of power pop bands. <gasps> so who, who would have thought? <laughs> yeah. He's right about that. Yeah. God bless. Um, and then what, what a year, monster. What year did you get married? Let's talk about your marriage. Um, 97, maybe. Oh, right. So a few years after all that. Mm-hmm. When you were at the EMP? Yeah, well, I was still managing, just managing bands and stuff at the time. Then the Super Suckers fired me. Oh, and, what'd you and do? And then, well, then I just sort of, well, as usual, I just sort of st- I just sort of stumble backwards into great things all the time. It's, it's my luck is stupid. And, uh, I got a job at the experience music project uh, right after getting shit canned by the, the super suckers. Wait, why did they fire you? Boy, you'll have to have them on (laughs) (laughs) all of them. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, those guys sort of all individually pulled me aside and said that that was a mistake mm-hmm. at very, at one time or another. So, what was um, the reason at the time? I'm pals. What was? Oh, the... I don't. I think they were just sort of. 
looking to become more popular. I think they just wanted bigger management to try to become Green Day or something like that, which, you know, you know, they did amongst their peers. They did very well. I mean, they didn't none of those motherfuckers had day jobs or anything like that ever while I was managing them. And uh, and they did great. I mean, they had, you know, we we had we got some silly silly amount of money for publishing deals and they got all kinds of great tours and all this other stuff, but then you just want a little bit more, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it, I don't know if it worked out for them or not. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think we do know, but, and then I would imagine at that time watching all of your peers and other bands in Seattle going in a more commercial direction, feeling like that's the direction that, or that would be available to you too. A major label, big management company, be the, you know, a, the Soundgarden, Nirvana, Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam, like all that was happening, Candlebox, whatever. So. Well, maybe. they did get signed, they did get signed to a major label. They got signed to Interscope, which was the biggest oh. label in the world at the time. Oh, wow. And, uh, and, you know that that promptly, you know. Then then all of us, once you sign once we signed with Interscope, then they got a real taste of what the real music business was like, which was just make a bunch of demos and keep sending them and keep getting them rejected. And like we don't hear a single here. And why don't you come to L.A. and write a song with Nikki Six, mm-hmm. or why don't you come to L.A. and write a song with the guy from Three Dog Night, whoever the fuck was. Yeah. <laughs> the mustache guy? Whoever, the mustache whoever was sweetening up songs at the time. Yeah. You know, maybe, oh, oh, oh man, I wish, I wish it would have happened with Richard Marks. That would have been great. But uh, so, you know, we signed a deal with Interscope, again, the biggest record label in the world at the time. And then they pretty much just sat still for a year and didn't do anything. So, mm. uh and, and uh, you know, they wanted to play on big all-ages tours, so I got them, what's that tour that went around and played in all the parking lots and shit? The Vans tour? Warp tour. Warp tour. So I got them on the Warp tour, and then they didn't want to do that because Warp tour doesn't doesn't pay that well. And so just, uh, I don't think they knew what they wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it's that be careful what you wish for thing. I was just going to say that. Yes. <sighs> but... And then, but I started working at EMP, which was, which was funny too. Like they, they had a a series of shows, our mutual friend, Susie Tennant worked there and got me a production job on a a series of shows that they were doing for the, I think for the UN for like a food program. And they had like uh, Joe Strummer and the wallflowers one night, just a, like a series of shows throughout the course of a month. Mm-hmm. And so I got hired just to temporarily to work, to, to produce those shows or to, to do the production work on those shows. So I got hired for a month beforehand to, to advance them and all that stuff, the month of the shows. And then a month afterwards to, to do all the invoicing or whatever, you know, all the, all that paperwork. So I would go into the office there i had a cubicle and i had an email address this is you know probably my first email address it was danny <laughs> Bl- you know danny bland at emp.org and then in, and then it would say in parentheses it would say temporary employee 
<laughs> and about halfway through the third month, I come in and the temporary employee part of my email address had disappeared. <laughs> and I said, and you know, I, I had made, made some friends there at that point. So I was like, Hey, you know, Hey Rich, look at my email address. Doesn't say temporary employee anymore. What's going on with that? And he said, well, maybe you work here now. <laughs> and I said, wow. Okay. They said, he, he said, <laughs> he said, you should go talk to HR and keep in mind that the last job job that I had was working at the porno store. So, um, <laughs> so he said, why don't you go talk to HR? So I went over to the other building where the corporate offices were and I walked around looking for a name tag on a door that said HR. <laughs> I was looking for this guy named HR. I had no, so I came, I came back. I said, yeah, I didn't, see anybody named HR over there. And they're like, uh, human resources, asshole. We're like, oh, oh. So, so I went over to human resources and they offered me, you know, what at the time was a substantial amount of money and 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 insurance and all that other shit. So and no so bear I spray. There for no no me. <laughs> I didn't have to bear nope. spray any of the people. I didn't have to spray anybody, you know. <laughs> not not it wasn't a it wasn't a work requirement at least it was more of a, <laughs> a recreational thing i was a recreational pepper sprayer <laughs> that was a fun time i remember going to a lot of shows there at that time it was a fun that was a fun was time great, you know? the, the big sky church and all the we had a big budget to bring any shows that we wanted to and it was fun it was and fun and you know and then you know of course the they started slashing budgets because it was a ridiculous, um, losing a ridiculous amount of money. And, and, uh, I survived layoff after layoff until I realized that, you know, when I saw the, I saw another slashed up budget that, that they were only going to be able to afford me for a, a, <laughs> a little while. And that my head was on the chopping block. So I, so I looked around to road manage other bands. Oh, that, That's when I went out with, that's when I went out with the knitters and palled up and started working with uh, young Dave Alvin. I recently, so recently we were talking about Dave Alvin mm -hmm. and you made a reference to something about being a fan of the blasters when you were a kid or something like that. And I, it just never occurred to me that what your kind of lifelong involvement with Dave was before you started working for Dave. Yeah, I was when I was, you know, 17, 18 years old, I was a huge Blasters fan, a huge X fan and me and my pals in 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 Phoenix would drive to Los Angeles and see them play all the time if, you know, we would get the LA Times and and uh, look in the entertainment section or we would get the Sunday LA Times, look in the entertainment section and see who was playing at the whiskey and Usually if X or the Blasters were playing there, then they'd be doing two shows a night. So we get tickets for all. On, they do two shows a night on Friday and Saturday. So we get tickets for all four shows, drive to LA and wow. get a shitty hotel room on the Sunset Strip and and uh, rock the fuck out. But you met Dave back then yeah. at that time. Wasn't there a party or something that you guys... 
we would let's see i've met him a, a bunch of times like yeah i mean sh- i'm trying to remember uh wasn't there like an after party that you guys showed up to uninvited <sighs> or something and uh god let's see that okay so in Phoenix one time, the, and this would have been a little bit later because the Blasters were uh, opening up for the Go-Go's and the Go-Go's that we, you know, were first having their hit record. So and Belinda was dating Bateman. Bateman probably at the time. And so it was at a big uh, shed in, in Phoenix. And just by the nature of the way that me and my friends look, we just, could walk backstage at these kind of places and not get harassed because we walked in as if we were supposed to. And, and so we, mm-hmm. we walked in and we're backstage and uh, I was really only really interested in seeing the, the blasters play. So me and Dave were hanging out and, and a couple other people. And he said, Oh, you know, my hotel room is right up there. It's overlooking the venue. So like, let's go up there and drink some beer and, and what have you. And, uh, I had this on my jacket. I had this uh, button, uh, Gene Autry, who's the a singing cowboy. Mm-hmm. And that's how we bonded because he was a big fan of Gene Autry as well. And we, and then I would tell him, I was telling him about Gene, Gene Autry owned like a, a TV station in Phoenix. And if you were a, if you made your living as a bus boy, as I did, you get home at two o'clock in the morning and before the TV station would shut down, as they used to do in the olden days, kids. <laughs> yeah. If you were watching Gene Autry's, the station that he owned, they always played the Gene Autry movie at the end of the night. So that's what I would watch every night. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling Dave this story. And then I was telling him about, a, you know, my favorite scene in a Gene Autry movie is when he's driving, he's riding his horse through the desert with a young lady on the back of it. And Mm -hmm. they get in some sort of spat and, and she decides that she's just going to get off the horse and walk through the desert. And he's riding next to her and say, get on, you know, get on the, get on the horse, get on the horse. She won't do it. So he takes a rope and he lassoes her and ties her up and throws her on the back of the horse. (laughs) I just thought that was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. And I'm telling him the scene about this and he had, he hadn't seen it. And he, we were laughing. And then we look over on the TV and Letterman is on the TV. And he introduces his next guest, which is Gene Autry, who's an old man now. He sits down and, you know, the sound's down and there's a, a party raging in his room. And, uh, and but we're, we're looking at, at uh, Letterman and Gene Autry talking, just saying, wow, what a fucking weird coincidence. And then on the TV, they, you know, it's one of those things where he goes, hey, let's, let's take a, let's take a look at one of the scenes from your movies. And they play that very scene that I was just talking. Mm. So no way. that's sort of, that was the me and Alvin. A fated bonding meaning. story. Yes. Fated relationship. Absolutely. Don't you love shit like that? <laughs> Don't you just love when shit happens like that? And you're just like, okay. All right. Okay. I know there's no God, but that's pretty close. <laughs> just so i'm just saying like a synchronicity just like a universal kind of feeling of 
Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay, I have a, f- I have a few questions. Okay. I won't interrupt. I, I c- I'll make a commitment. <laughs> no, you can interrupt. It's fine. That's kind of the, the show. Why does it seem like you had an easy time getting clean? And why do you think some people have a hard time getting clean? I... T- I think that I had an easy time or there it's weird. There's, there are things that work for you in life that don't work for you in sobriety, like having a trust fund works for you in life. It does not work for you in sobriety, right? Like, or it doesn't work for you when you're trying to get clean. I was fortunate enough to have that when, when, when I was offered the opportunity to go to treatment center, I had no other options. I was that far away from being homeless. And not only did it seem like a good idea, it seemed like the only option that I had. So in that respect, I was, you know, the pile of shit that my life had turned into was great. I mean, it was a great opportunity and I had no, I had no resources or no money or no way to wrangle out of doing it. I, I, I thoroughly believed that my choices at the time were to get sober or to die. And so I chose, (laughs) I chose sobriety. Was it like a surrender? I mean, did you feel, did you feel yourself? I mean, it seems like from the way that you've talked about it is that there, you just really surrendered really early on of just like, okay, I'm, I'm done. Yeah. I, I surrender. I mean, I've just had enough. I'd, I, I'd had a, a sort of a theory, the ringer. I sort of had a theory through, since I was a child that everybody that I knew had received instructions or directions or some sort of booklet on how to live life that I had not received. And, <laughs> and everybody, I was surrounded by people who seemed to have their shit together. And meanwhile, I was bullshitting my way through everything all the time. And, you know, my biggest fear was to be discovered as the bullshit artist that I was. So it didn't, so listening to someone else's idea or listening to someone else for a change, like, you know, now I'll go back to the, the caveat of like, while I thought I was full of shit and didn't know what I was doing, I was also, I also had a huge ego. <laughs> so, and, and how that works or how someone does that is, a, is still a mystery to me. But once once that had been probably, you know, once the ego had been probably properly beaten out of me, it made it easy to see that I didn't know what the fuck I was doing and that I needed to listen to someone else for a change. And I simply surrendered, gave up. Hmm. It was just, I was just exhausted from trying from, I mean, you know, what a gift. What a beautiful gift. Well, yeah. That, that's the thing. It's like you, if people think that, that they need to fight for their sobriety or, or, and it's, it's, it's kind of the opposite. Like just 
just like sobriety is waiting there for you. It, you know, there are, there are people in these rooms that want to give it to you. All you have to do is shut the fuck up and take it. And like, it's not, yeah. a, it's not a fight. It's, it's there. All you got to do. It's is- not about being strong. And I hear this so much oh, yeah. in all different areas of recovery of just like, stay strong, stay strong. And I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> no stop being strong. Well, and, soften, it, soften. Yeah. It's civilians will talk about, you know, about, you know, willpower. Like, oh, you've got so much willpower. It's like, no, there's no such, I don't have willpower. It's like the, um, you know, I am, I am quite open to all temptation that, that, that there is in this world. I just know that it's going to be the end of me. And, you know, once you believe, once you believe to your core that you are a drug addict and you're not like regular people and I could do that, you know, I, I could, I, I never once in my entire life thought I was like an, like a regular person. So, you know, why should I be able to drink like a regular person? I, I, I'm a, I'm a, I was always a fucking monster. There's no way that I can behave <laughs> and, and be civilized like a normal person. So once I sort of embraced that, then, then it was, it was easy for me or easier. Do you think it's the people who struggle or relapse a lot of times or or never really get it? Do you think they just are not surrendering? Yeah, I think they're just there. I think that the the main that a lot of people's main problem is they they hope one day to be normal again. And I just gave up on that a long time ago. Like I, they hope to be able to if they still have a romantic notion about toasting somebody with champagne at a wedding or some bullshit like that, then that they just need to realize that that is for other people. And like, I'm fine. (laughs) It ain't for you. It ain't for you. It's not for me. (laughs) Drink like like a gentleman now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like, uh, uh, I don't know. I think about that with, with music a lot these days. Like I have people listening to like, Billy, I what's her name? Billy Eilish, 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 and they're and Eilish. like, don't, don't, you know? Do you like this song? I'm like, no, it's not made for me. Like, I'm not a 15 year old <laughs> girl. It's not made for me. I, I'm glad it's out there. I'm glad it exists. It's not for me. <laughs> Same thing. It's so true. Mm-hmm. Okay. What has been your hardest day so far? Mm. <clears throat> my hardest day was my hardest day was the you know was when they found Amy Ferris after she committed suicide mm. it was never it was the ultimate life on life's terms experience right because the, the idea of getting loaded or drinking never crossed my mind, but the, but everything that goes along with a death like that, which is, you know, we blaming yourself or wondering what you could have done or, or what you could have said to change things. Um, having to experience all that in all its, in all its tragedy and all its glory. Mm-hmm. 
Janet knows something about that. Yeah. I do. What do you think helped you get through that day? Like, what have you done about... Did you ever end up going to therapy about that? Did you ever talk to anyone about it? Did you? What did you do? I wrote a book. <laughs> um, Legitimate. Yeah. Uh, I didn't really go to therapy about that. I mean, I... I haven't really gone to therapy until in till the middle until lockdown mm. is it was I would say it was the only real therapy I've ever gone I've ever experienced but you know that's one that is one that lives with me every day and like you know I wrote a book about it and then I'm writing another book that's essentially the same story right now you know it's just a continuation of that and there's, you know, it's how a lot of it, there's a, a running theme in it about the, the male as in the, the, the male version of mourning, which is for someone my age, like we're never, we're, we're not, we're not taught how to deal with those sort of things. So it's a very self-sabotaging and a thing we just as as men or as males we just don't handle it well we handle the business part of it uh we handle the we handle the burial and the arrangements and all kinds of things and but we don't deal with the feelings of it until they erupt out of us a couple of years later and until they deal with you yeah, i mean exactly Back in N.A., when we went to N.A. in the early 90s, they used to say, don't worry about getting in touch with your feelings because they will get in touch with you. That is, <laughs> like, that is genius. Pretty true. That's genius. Yeah. yeah. But you also had a, had some other internal uh, awakenings or shifts or experiences around that time of some kind of larger, some new kind of belief systems or some new awarenesses around some kind of, I mean, I want to say woo-woo metaphysical kind of <laughs> stuff well, that cracked you open in a different way than you had experienced spirituality before. It's true. It's true. Like I'm, you know, for a guy, for a guy who's been as sober as long as me, I've given God and spirituality sort of the old, the okie doke. Yeah. Um, uh, as we, you know, as we go along, I would just, you know, I would pray and meditate and blah, blah, and, and that sort of thing because I was supposed to, or because they told me to, but I did not know what I was doing and I did not know who to ask. And, and, and the, the experience of, of, of Amy Ferris's death made me seek it out because I was hurting and, right. and, and, you know, in order not to hurt myself or others, I had to, I had to seek out a spiritual belief system that, that worked for me aesthetically. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's gotta be cool. Uh, well, it's gotta be, uh, it's gotta be, uh, it's got to be creepy and it's got to be secretive and it's got to be, be something we can't talk about. It's got to be some, something we can't write down. It's got to be any, a number of, uh, any number of those things that appeals to me, but that's why it's there. 
for people like me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you found, I'm glad you found it. I'm glad you found something. Well, I mean, it sounds like I'm glad for all of us that he found yeah. it. <laughs> You're welcome, everyone. <laughs> Thank you. Thank Public you. service. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Then just to end on a happier note, what, what has been your happiest day so far? Oh, Besides today, besides besides being, this, besides being on the podcast, I can't even pick out one because there's been. I mean, like I'm saying, my luck is absurd, and I have I have lived a, a life that I could have only I couldn't even have imagined when I was a youngster, much less like when I was in the middle of using drugs. At, like I couldn't. I couldn't pick a happiest day. There's just no way. And, and I'm, and I'm grateful for that. There's, there's too much motherfucking happiness going on in my life. <laughs> <laughs> we were together when the West Memphis three got released yeah. and that was a really, really happy day. Collectively. I was just bawling and Danny was just like oh my god are you gonna be okay and I was like I don't know I mean it was just such a moving I mean that whole that that whole thing was that was amazing because that you know that is a thing you know it's funny I having been involved in 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 that world you know in that activism world and having something like that work out is very very rare and yeah, you know, I had right. I had old old timer activists who pull me aside and go and just say, you know, this never happens, right? I'm like, yeah, I do. And it was, you know, it was it was something that we worked on and that lived that coexisted with us and was never far from our minds for you know eighteen years and 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 mm-hmm. uh, and you know the fact that they you know, we're able to walk out of there was very overwhelming and very emotional and, you know, historic. And the fact that you were in, you happened to be in Seattle by then just barely yeah. after being not living in Seattle for a number of years. And that they, this is where they came right. when they got out, they came to Seattle and it, it seemed very fortuitous for you to be able to see them, you know, the day after they. Yeah, it was amazing. Well, you know, and, and me and Damien always had a, we had a very, I would go, you know, there were, there were a lot of times where like my vacation for whatever year it was, you know, the, in the, in the mid to late nineties was instead of going on vacation, I would go to Arkansas and visit him in on death row. And, mm-hmm. and the weird thing about that is, you know, people would, you know, ask about it, talk about how, what a heavy experience it was. And, and that just simply wasn't true. Like we, you know, the visit, those visits were, you could, you could go for like eight hours in one day, or you could split it up into four hour sections over two days. And usually I would just go, we would go in for eight hours and we fucking just, we would just laugh and talk shit the entire time. Like it was it, it was not <laughs> leaving was a heavy experience because he didn't get to come mm-hmm. with us, but going there yeah. was a laugh riot. I mean, we really did. Mm-hmm. We just talked about wrestling and music and 
talk shit about people and it was a lot of fun. <laughs> but that was Thank the, God that was you the, didn't have to That was the nature of, of or that is the nature of, of still to this day of me and Damien's relationship. Mostly we just talk shit about other people. <laughs> yeah. I went to I remember when uh you and I went to lunch with Damien and Lori and you guys were like teenage boys just giving each other shit. <laughs> It's, it was really cute, but thank God you that you didn't have to, I mean, just the whole thing. I mean, it's just wild. So yeah. wild. Even now, like Janet, I mean, we still talk, I still talk about it often with people about, you know, that that could happen in the first place and that they actually got out. It happens every day. And I love the story about, uh, yeah, yeah. And remember when you took, you took Jason out. <laughs> <laughs> that was terrible. I have uh, well, you know, it, when they first <laughs> yeah, got out, it, it like Jason was Jason was a ki- a kid when he went to prison, and mm-hmm. we, you know, so w- one night we we're like, okay, we're going out for a boys' night out. We went and you know, we went and played poker with my friends, and then we went to his first rock and roll show at a club, and he was, you know, he was drinking alcohol, you know the first time and people recognize him they were buying him shots and he he just got polluted like just throwing up <laughs> drunk and I'm like oh well here this is this is this is what it's like out here yeah this <laughs> is what like, this is what it's like out here yeah yeah and, and, but did you take him back to the people that he's staying with yes <laughs> here's you know his girlfriend sorry. sober <laughs> responsible danny bland takes a takes this guy out brings I him home just plastered wasted i mean pops I, him in bed yeah i went i wanted him, him to have a little celebration i had no idea how many drinks people were buying him or or the fact that he was drinking them all and he didn't know. He didn't know anything about drinking. Yeah. He didn't know like you don't drink a bunch of beers and then drink a bunch of tequila and then drink a bunch of whiskey yeah. and then drink you know some okay, champagne. Yeah, he turn, was just like sure, sure, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. He had no idea. So uh, yeah. <laughs> I got in a lot of trouble for that. Yes. <laughs> Bad babysitter. And you know when I met him that night, I just you know, you introduced us or something and we just looked at each other and hugged and I just started crying, but I didn't want him to see me like crying because he was having a really fun time. And so I was just trying to stifle it and just be like, Oh, it's great to meet you. Great to see you. And just like, I can't believe he's in person right here. Just he's here at the chugging, God, chugging drinks at the tractor tavern. Wait, where were we? No, the, what was the, it was the, it was the tractor. Yeah. And he was having so much fun and he was up watching the band and just, it was just such a sight to behold. It was, it was, it just felt like such a, such a moment in time to yeah. witness his first outing. It's into, all freedom until we're throwing up in the back of Danny's rental car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 it's one of the things that's available with freedom. Yep. It's one of them. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Recover from that hangover for three days. Exactly. But he loved it, though, right? I mean, he woke up the next day feeling happy and. Well, I don't know if he woke static. up the next day feeling happy, but maybe a couple <laughs> Not days the later. Next day. <laughs> maybe yeah. a couple days later. But yeah, you know, his first rock and roll show. That was a wild experience. That's a pretty good example of a happy day. That was a good one. Yeah. I, like I said, there's so many like that. I, I, we could sit here. I love that attitude that like, that, you know, and 
admit to being very lucky. It's, it's, yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> you are well loved, highly regarded, well loved. I would, being. yeah, I, I mean, if I, yeah, if I, if I wasn't me and I, and I saw the luck, I would hate me. So I don't know why I'm well loved. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. And the thing about you is that you've always been like super just like, I mean, even hearkening back to you coming and taking me to meetings when I was in that halfway house and just like how many people you've gotten into treatment, like, oh, someone needs help. All right, let's get them. Let's get them hooked up with music cares or let me make a call. I'll put you in treatment or whatever. Like you've always just been such a, such an out, such an advocate for, for sobriety and, and doing that stuff for just so many people in the world. Again, uh, that's, and that's That's a lot of good karma, a lot of good karma. That's being lucky. Yeah. That's being lucky to have those resources, you know, or to to know those numbers to call or, or to, to, you know, to be able to do that is, is a blessing. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of redemption to, I have a lot of uh, poor, (laughs) um, poor misbehavior to make up for. So <laughs> maybe one of these days I'll be even. <laughs> Hopefully by the end of it not, all. Yeah. Yet, all even. But soon, I mean, I'm not, no, no one's keeping the score. I mean, but uh, you know, knock on wood. Let's hope. <laughs> Is this where the, like the, the, the closing theme music comes in? We can. I feel like, yeah. Thank you for knowing our theme song, but I feel like we skipped over your marriage and your daughter and all of that stuff. But I think we covered some really important, really profound moments of being Danny Bland. There's a, yeah, many of, many of my happy days would, would revolve around my daughter, Isabel, and just the, just the magic of having like, you know, an adult child who you can go out to dinner with and be an actual person around and, mm-hmm. and, you know, have them turn out so uh, incredible when there's really no logical reason why that should happen. Yeah, boy, and, that, that lightning struck us all. Yeah. So our kids are such better people than we are. <laughs> <laughs> That's how, you know, there's bigger forces at work That's here. That's how you know. They're just waiting for us to die and then they're going to go nuts. Yeah. <laughs> well, now that Isabel's in LA, do you yeah. think we should make the move down there finally? Move to Los Angeles? Yeah. She'd be too busy for me down there. There's no way. <laughs> also, there's too much sunshine down there. Yeah, I don't like I sunshine. Danny wouldn't be able to go outside during the day. I don't care for it. The one rainy day a year they have, you'd be able to go out. <laughs> nope. I like it up here. She'll come back. She'll be back. Yeah, they we can go that. visit. We can always drive down. We can always drive down there again, Danny, and <laughs> be homeless and Fantastic. drive down with a dog. Paluto says hi. By the way, I found a really cute picture of you and Paluto that I almost sent to you, asking why you don't love. I our do. Dog. I do. I need to. He only loves our dog because he is a dog, and he has a rule about loving all dogs. But he doesn't particularly love. That is dogs. not true at all. That's not true. At all. <laughs> I will. I you've would, never posted a picture of him on your social media. You never ask me how he's doing. 
Well, I don't need to ask you how he's doing because all your social media is is pictures of the dog and what he's up to. So I I have no, there are no questions. Nobody has any questions about your dog. We all are up to date. And I know Janet's daughter's like, um, I couldn't be happier. (laughs) Janet's daughter says to me, So I guess your Instagram is all about your dog. And I'm like, I guess. That's fine. <laughs> so where we're at. That's, I mean, that's what do people want to see like selfies? I did post a, a picture of myself over the my trip to LA, but it's not because it's me. It's because I'm with Clem Burke, of course. You I saw that. that picture. Did Did you have any feelings? Well, I mean, he's a happy? good drummer. He's a good drummer. I like when you take I like when you take pictures with vintage men. <laughs> <laughs> That's my specialty, Danny. <laughs> didn't you? Didn't you know that? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm one myself, so that's that's good. You're such a jerk. Yeah, <laughs> vintage man. Oh my god. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for coming on the podcast again. Let's let's get together and uh, eat some Tallericos and yummy. Let's eat some pizza. And yeah. Let's have a let's have a face to face get together. All right. I watch um, a movie. Um, here, let me look at my calendar. I'm not doing shit till <laughs> he, December. So he's just looking around the room for people <laughs> who can't see space. him. He's just yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got nothing to do. So holler at me. Cool. Thanks, Danny. Bye, Thanks for ladies. sharing all your stuff with Bye, us. Danny. Thanks for thank you. Thanks thank you. Having. All right. Bye. Bye.